Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I just thank you for uh, just your overwhelming love and just how good you are to us, Lord. I just thank you for an awesome week at camp and the ways you're working in our students' hearts and students' lives. And God, it's just a total testament um, to how good you are and just uh, how awesome it is that we have the privilege where we get to have a relationship with you, where we get to know you. And so I just pray that you'd bless us this morning as we open up your word. Help us to have ears to hear what you have to say to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Give it up for the bands. What a great job, yeah. So uh, my name is Matthew Burkholder. I'm in charge of the student ministries. And uh, man, I can't even begin to tell you just how speechless, like I can't even put into words to describe just the awesome things God did in the lives of students up at Hume Lake uh, this week. We had 12 students give their lives to Christ for the first time. And we had well over 20 students, man, recommit their lives saying, hey, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I'm all in. And so just super awesome to see. And beyond that, just speaking for the counselors uh, and myself, just really the students experiencing church family and just the bonds that they built up at Hume Lake. I mean, obviously, you're going to build a lot of bonds when you're spending a week up at camp, you know, basically sleeping together, you know. And like, you just like, and it's just incredible to see what God did that week and just kids opening up, sharing their struggles, being open and just really understanding the value of church family. And really just this really true understanding of Ephesians 5 where when the body's connected together, it's building itself in love. And we just saw that this, this past week, this idea of the body, the students, man, building each other up in love, love for God and love for each other. And so I just wanna say thank you from the bottom of my heart just for your support, your love. Hume Lake is a massive endeavor every single year. I mean, we're, we like talk about it in October, so it's only a matter of time. It's like Christmas. It just falls, or you know, as soon as December ends, it's like you're looking forward to it again, and that's kind of the way it goes with Hume Lake. And so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your love, your support, your prayers, and your generosity. It would not be possible. Um, Hume Lake would simply not be possible if it weren't for your generosity and just your love um, for these students, man. And it's so cool to see what God's doing. And I use the word doing in the students' lives for a reason because really just Hume Lake's the start. Hume Lake's the start of what God really wants to do in the lives of these kids. And the fact of it's really not just a mountaintop experience. It's not just a one week in their lives, it's not just a Christian decision. That's why we call it the Christian life. It's a matter of following God, walking with him day by day. And as we get to know him more and more, our love for him abounds more and more. And as our love begins to abound for him more and more, he begins to transform our hearts, change our lives where we begin to resemble and look more and more like Jesus and less and less like our former sinful selves so that ultimately we might reach other people. But the reality of it is it all starts with knowing 
God. And so that's going to be the topic of what we're talking about this morning. And this word kajua is actually the, the theme uh, for Hume Lake this summer. Kajua is the Swahili word which means to know, to know. And so up at Hume Lake, unlike years past where we tend to talk about a specific Old Testament character and look at his or her life and the stories that we can pull out in the, and just the, really the lessons to be learned from their life, we decided to, Hume Lake decided this year to look at the full scope of the Bible in its entirety, the entire biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation. And so we have this look here of what that biblical narrative looks like. And when I'm talking about God's story, I'm not saying some, some story, some fictional novel. When I'm talking about the scope of God's story, I'm talking about real life events, real true history that actually happen and has everything to do with where we are today. The Bible, God's story answers some of life's biggest questions that we have. Where do we come from? What's our purpose? What's our meaning? What's our identity? Why is there so much conflict and evil in this world? Is there life after death? Is there hope in this life now? All these questions can be answered in the biblical story, in God's story, real life events that actually happened. And so here we have to look at kind of the storyline of the Bible in its entirety, we have the exposition creation, the Genesis account, where God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And the pinnacle of that creation is mankind, created in the likeness and in the image of God, created with the purpose to glorify him. Now, we have the rising action with the fall the fall where Adam and Eve chose to actually go against their original design to glorify God and chose to sin against him, rebel against him, to separate themselves. God had one commandment, to not eat of the tree, the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet they couldn't resist the temptation and they gave in to sin, therefore separating themselves from God and going against that design of glorifying him, of being in relationship with him. And so because of this separation, God then implemented this sacrificial system, which we looked at a lot in the scope of uh, the week we were up at Hume Lake. And what, basically what we have is God's chosen people in the sacrificial system God's put in place to atone for sin. And really what's ultimately happening is this sacrificial system is a foreshadow of what's to come. And so Israel is anticipating the coming of a savior. And at the climax of the story, that long anticipated savior enters the world in Jesus Christ in which we celebrate on Christmas Day. So we have Jesus' Life, death, and resurrection, where he lived a life as a servant, humbling himself to the point of death, death on a cross, to be that final sufficient sacrifice once and for all. His body was broken, his blood poured out for, so that we might have access to a relationship with him, so that we might have access to salvation and forgiveness. And then we come to the falling action where Jesus ascends into heaven, but he promises the Holy Spirit, and he even gives us the church 
where we can believe in Christ and as believers we can meet together as a church and we anticipate now Jesus' return, the resolution of the story where he will make all things new. He will not leave sin and death undealt with. Rather, he will have victory over sin and death once and for all. And really what it comes down to is this is the message of reconciliation. So we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. You can flip there now. That's gonna be our main passage for this morning. And you're gonna hear this word come up a lot. This term reconciliation. And it's a fancy term. You know, I tell the students, it's like Christianese, so reconciliation, let's try to unpack what this word actually means, and this word basically, basically means is that God's trying to bring us back to him. He's trying to bring us back to him. We've sinned, we've separated ourselves from God, we've rebelled against him, like that's just sin by its very nature, by its very design. God is holy, God is perfect, and we've chose to go against that. And so we've separated, there's a gap, there's a divide, and God wants to bridge that gap, bridge that divide, and reconcile us back. Romans 1 talks about this idea that we've exchanged God's glory for our own. Meaning we've separated ourselves, we've gone our own way. And God is in the process of reconciliation. He wants to bring us back. But the Bible also also talks about how we were once far off, but he's brought us near by the blood of the cross, that he's interested in bringing us near to him. That's what this idea of reconciliation means. And reconciliation begins and ends with Jesus. And so the theme verse for uh, the week up at camp was, Pretty straightforward, John 3.16. So go ahead and read that with me, if you would. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we've heard that verse, right? We've heard that verse many, many times. You see it at sports games, you see it on billboards, right? Even if you haven't been in church at all, like so many people know this verse and even know this verse by memory. But the question is, we may know the verse, but do we know the message contained within it? Do we truly know God and grasp just how great his love is truly for us? I mean, think about that God so loved us that he sent his son, perfect Living the perfect life, full of, I mean, out of complete grace, completely undeserved for us, he lived the life and took on our sin so that ultimately we could believe and have access to eternal life with God forever. We can have access to a relationship with him right here, right now. Like, that's the message of John 3.16. And if you look in 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul, speaking of this message, in light of this message, says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and was raised. 
And I want to key in on this idea of the love of Christ controls us. That's Paul's response in light of John 3.16, this message. Like the love of Christ controls us. He's talking of him and his companions. And the question is, do we have that response? Do we have that response when it comes to John 3.16? Because I think for a lot of us, we know the verse, but we need to get back to knowing the message, knowing God and his great love for us. Because Paul understands. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. He says in Philippians, nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He realizes that that's the first big utmost priority in his life, and he's all out, he's all in simply because he knows God and his great love for us. And so is that our response? And herein lies the problem I think we all face is that familiarity tends to breed apathy. We have this, we're content with this surface level understanding of God's love for us. And we don't dive deep to truly understand, to truly know. Here's a little illustration so this, on this idea of familiarity breeding apathy. So I, uh, I went to Grand Canyon University, graduated from there, lopes up. You know, there's maybe a few uh, who know about GCU. And so I went out to Phoenix, Arizona. And so I met a lot of people that happened to not be from California. And I would always have friends ask me, you know, where are you from? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm from Huntington Beach. They're like, how close are you to the water? Like 10-minute drive. You know, do you go every day? And I'm like, "Uh, not really. Um, And uh, they're like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, if I was 10 minutes away from the beach, I I would be going every single day. The fact that you live in 76 degrees all the time Like, I want that. And we take what's in front of us for granted. The fact that every single day we actually do have an opportunity to go down to the beach, to walk on the sand, to get in the water, to surf, whatever it is. We have the beach right in front of us. Huntington Beach is literally like a destination vacation spot. And all my college friends wanted to come, you know, back home from spring break with me, you know, and I don't blame them. You know, I had one, I, I knew one guy, I had one friend uh, who was from Riverside, a 909er, and uh, he, uh, you know, he was trying to claim he was from Orange County because he just did not want to associate himself with Riverside, you know? And I'm like, oh, I don't blame you, you know? <laughs> right? And we, we miss what's right in front of us. Or even just consider the idea that we're like a 20-minute drive from Disneyland, you know, we have, we're SoCal residents, we, can, we, can, we have a, literally a Southern California discounted pass if we want to get it, and we can literally go every single week. We, there may be blackout dates, so you can't go every day, <laughs> but you could go pretty much every single week. And we take that for granted. I mean, there's literally families, and we're not even talking about across America, we're talking about across the world that save up money for a lifetime to have one family vacation to Disneyland. And it's crazy. We miss out on what's right in front of us. We take so often for what's for granted what's right in front of us. And I think it's no different here. The idea of familiarity breeding apathy. 
It's this idea that we've got John 3.16, we've got the gospel message right in front of us. And the hope is that we don't miss it, but that we know it. And so that brings us to this big question of what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to truly know God? So let's go ahead and read 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, the entire passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 says this, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was di- died and was raised. From now on, therefore regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the, the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled, there it is, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world, bringing it back to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, to stay close For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Paul basically outlines this idea and is going to answer this question of what does it mean to know God. And the first big thing is Paul and the companions and his people with him, they understand just the depth and the love of God and the fact that God's love is perfectly on display through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And that's why they say, I'm all in. I want to live completely for him. And it's personal. They've experienced God's love in their lives. It's personal. It's real to them. Which brings us to this first point here that knowing God means embracing his love. That it's a personal relationship with God. Truly experiencing and encountering God's love in your own life. And that's why Paul can say the love of Christ controls because he has a personal relationship with God. He's experienced that love. He realizes that he's a sinner, messed up, broken, and that God, out of, somehow out of his love and out of his grace, would choose to save him. And so that's this, our first big idea is knowing God means embracing his love. And there's a big difference between knowing about God, knowing about Jesus, knowing about John 3.16, and knowing it. Truly knowing it. You can know the facts. But do, you ha- do you truly know God? Do you have that relationship? Have you experienced that? So I, I, so I brought with me a jar of peanut butter. And uh, I love peanut butter. And there's a few things about peanut butter I need to tell you. One is smooth peanut butter is not peanut butter, okay? Um, you know, like you got to have the peanut in the peanut butter, you know, like, right? Like it's, it's got to be crunchy. 
And it's, it's kind of like coffee, like decaf coffee is not coffee. Like coffee, it, by its definition, is caffeinated, right? I mean, so... <laughs> And I know, uh, you know, choosy mothers choose Jif, but I grew up on Skippy, so, uh, so I got Skippy peanut butter, still love Skippy peanut butter to this day, but the fact of the matter is I could tell you all about peanut butter. I could tell you how good it is. I could tell you the creamy goodness that peanut butter is and how great it is. You could spread it on a piece of toast. You could put it on a bagel. You could put it in ice cream. I mean, on and on and on it goes. It's great. And I could tell you the nutritional facts, I could tell you the ingredients inside of it, and I could give you all the facts, and you may know a lot about peanut butter, but I'm telling you, you don't know peanut butter until you've actually tried it. And so I'm going to try some because I'm kind of hungry, so, you know. Hopefully I can talk after this, so. Ooh. I might need a bottle of water, but. But you've tasted it. You've taken it in. You know it. You truly know it when you've experienced it firsthand in your life. And it's no different here with God's love. That when you truly experience it firsthand in your life, you know it. It's a personal relationship with him. It's that experience. It's not just knowing about the facts, but it's knowing his love in your life, and it's seeing it in action. And so I want to look at God's love and kind of understand and go beneath the surface and dive deep into his love and look at three actions. And the first one is that his love sends. His love sends. 1 John 4.9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love sends. What's crazy is right after the Genesis account in Genesis 3 of the the recording of first sin of Adam and Eve choosing to sin and rebel against God, what's crazy is in Genesis 3.15, we have the first promise of a savior. God's love is initiating. He doesn't leave it up to us to be good enough to somehow find our way back and come back to him. No, God says, okay, you've sinned, you've separated yourself. Well, I want to bridge that gap. I'm going to pursue you. I'm coming after you. His love sends. He made the first move. You know, I think of, uh, this might be embarrassing to tell you, but uh, I often give credit to my girlfriend who I've been dating for nine months. I I give her credit for making the first move. Um, (laughs) Which is not, yeah, not very manly, I don't know. Um, but uh, so we, we met, we reconnected. I knew her in college, and then we reconnected uh, at a friend's wedding, and then we just started talking. And then she actually, if it weren't for this, she actually invited me to an Angels game. And, you know, here we are, you know, nine months later from that. But if it weren't for that asking... I'm a pretty socially awkward guy. I don't, you know, it's probably not, you know, that relationship's not going anywhere. And she made the first move. And it's the same idea here with God. God making the first move. If it weren't for him making that first move, his love being initiating for us, we'd still be sucking sin. We'd have no relationship with God. 
We'd be eternally separated with him forever in hell if it weren't for Jesus Christ bridging that gap. His love sends. And thanks be to God who didn't leave sin undealt with, who sent his son, Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is love sacrifices. Love sacrifices. 1 John 4.10 says, this is the love, not that we love God, but that he loved us first and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So not only does love send, but love sacrifices. And he sacrificed his own life for us. And we really dove deep at Hume Lake into the idea of the sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, and this just anticipation of a savior, and just how like messy and bloody that all was. The fact that you know they basically are taking lambs, most you know, mostly used for a burnt offering, and having to literally kill a lamb, sprinkle blood on an altar to simply temporarily atone for sin. And you take thousands, if not probably hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of Israelites, sinning on a daily basis. And having to make regular, routine sacrifices to God. Think about how many animals were sacrificed, were slaughtered for the sake of atoning for sin. It's bloody and messy. And it was temporary. It was a temporary fix. It didn't even lead to like an actual forgiveness, an actual freedom from sin. That's why they had to do it over and over again. It was this endless cycle. And I had one of my students in a little cabin discussion, you know, tell me, he's like, man, the sacrificial system, that's kind of messed up. And I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, it's messed up. You know, I totally agree with you. You know, and I said, but, but God's not the one who, who messed up by implementing the sacrificial system. We messed up when we sinned. And it's a God who's holy, who's righteous, that shows how severe and seriously he takes sin in our lives and why it, it requires sacrifice. And what's even more messed up is it, it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross to be that ultimate sufficient sacrifice for us. That's messed up. His love sacrifices you know, the Bible talks about, you know, no greater love than this, than, than one laying down his life for another. And that's what Jesus did. He perfectly executed love for us by laying down his life so that we might know him. That's the power of love, sacrificing. And then we have love stays. Love stays. 1 John 4.13 says this, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So not only does God's love send or set and sacrifice, rather his love also stays. That Jesus ascends into heaven, but he promises, hey, I'm, I'm gonna provide you a helper in the Holy Spirit that if you believe in me, have a relationship with me, you're gonna have the Holy Spirit, God, Inside of us, if we actually believe in him. Like how awesome, how cool, how crazy is that? That that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living with inside of us and gives us power to understand God's word, gives us power 
to conquer sin. We can't do it alone. And Jesus even says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Love stays. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's always there. We can rely upon him. You know, you think about just like the best friends that you have in your life. You know, and best friends, those best friends, I know one of the biggest qualifications for being a best friend is always gonna, it's always gonna come down, well, they're always there for me. They're, they're committed. I can always go to them. I can always rely upon them. And we're all sinners. We're all broken people. These are broken relationships. Imagine God in his perfect love always being there. His love stays. So now take those three things and, and try to, Elevate our understanding of John 3.16. So for God so loved the world, that means this idea that his love sends. God sent Jesus. Beyond that, God's love sacrifices in sending Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. And beyond that, man, his love stays that he promises to be with us. And so when we read John 3.16 and we think about these three actions of God's love for us, man, it just elevates the depth and the meaning and the message of John 3.16 that for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son for us. How amazing is that? And that's the gospel. That's the good news And the beautiful thing about that is knowing God is made possible because he's made himself known out of love for us by sending his son, Jesus. So the question is for you is, and I is, you know, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Not knowing about the facts, but do you honestly know him? Because knowing should lead to a response where we are literally saying, I want to be controlled by the love of Christ. So often we settle for complacency in Christian life. Okay, I'll go to church, I'll occasionally read my Bible, I'll pray when when I need to. And it's like, no, God's love is anything but mediocre. God's love is all out for us. And our simple, natural response should be, all in for him. We need to get off the idea of like just being a fan of God, being a fan of his love. John 3, 16, oh, that's cool, that's awesome, you know, he loves me. No, it's life-changing when we understand the gravity and the depth of his love for us through Jesus. And so knowing God means embracing his love and beyond that, knowing God means then extending his love It's not just a matter of receiving it and experiencing, but it's a matter of giving it back to other people. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, it says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew us and that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it makes sense that knowing God, we want to make him known. We want to make him known. 
You know, I think about how, like, just often we're like, naturally, this is just how every single human being is wired. We just love to share awesome experiences with other people. Like, we just can't wait. You know, something amazing happens in your life, whatever that may be. You just want to go call someone. You want to go tell someone. And in this age, you know, we have social media. You got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all these crazy things. You just want to tell other people. I mean, that's literally almost the 90% of what goes on is like I feel like people are sharing experiences with others through photos, through posts. And we love to share experiences. We love to. You know, we have this idea of like, the idea of trending and the fact that if you share an experience so much, right, it becomes a trending topic. And the whole point is, well, if we truly understand and recognize God's love for us in our lives, well, we're going to want to tell other people about that. We're going to want to make him known. Jesus should be something trending. We want to share him. And so how do we do that? We do that through two things. One is we model. We model. It says, be reconciled to God in verse 20. That ultimately we stay close and that we live like Christ and we actually model his love. I mean, the song is so true that they will know we are Christians by our love. Love for God, love for other people. That's why the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That ultimately, simply by the way we love and treat other people in our lives, people can see a difference in us. Because this idea of love sending, this idea of love sacrificing, this idea of love staying, this, it's a divine, it's, it's in a supernatural type of love. And when we experience that in our own lives and are able to then extend that to other people, other people are going to notice. Other people are going to see a difference. And so let's think about that, modeling Christ's love, love sending, that his love is initiating. Are we quick to forgive when we're wronged? Do we love other people when we may not feel loved back? Because that's God's love sending. Sin is literally the opposite of loving him, and he still chose to love us. Think about love sacrificing You know, are we willing to basically sacrifice time, energy, effort for the sake of other people? Are we willing to put other people before ourselves? Do we live with that type of love? So of sacrifices, and then also his love stays. Are we committed? Do we have friendships, relationships? Are we committed? Are we faithful? Modeling the love of Christ. When we live like him, people will notice. People will see a difference. And part of the key to modeling is this idea of be reconciled to God. Stay close. I don't know if you noticed, but when you hang out, like some of your best friends, you like start picking up on mannerisms and like sayings with each other. And so I hang out with Jim Gain a lot because uh, that we work together. And he always says like, dude. 
you know, and uh, all the time when like something crazy happens and I feel like I find myself like, dude, you, you know, picking up on those mannerisms, picking up on those little things, those hand gestures, whatever you do. And that's this idea when you're hanging out with each other, you rub off on each other and the idea is that we'd hang out with God, we'd get to know him in his word, we'd talk to him in prayer, we'd have experience that relationship with God and that his love up. His love for us would ultimately rub off on us and that we would begin to extend that to other people. And then the second thing, not just model, but multiply. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that we are ambassadors, we're messengers, that we're relaying a message. And the hope and and the goal in, in that is that ultimately other people might know him as well might have a relationship with him, might have salvation. I mean, we're talking about eternity being on the line. We're talking about heaven and hell, life or death. And if we have the answer in the love of God, we should be sharing that message with other people. You know, God is after disciples. He's not just after converts. He wants wholehearted followers of him. Why? Because wholehearted followers of him multiply. You know, the very end of the verse, I mean, the very end of the chapter in 2 Corinthians 5 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew us and that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness. Not the forgiven. And I had someone point out to me, not the forgiven, Hume Lake. But we might become the righteousness of God. So it's not just a matter of embracing his love and receiving that, but it's ultimately that his love would begin to transform us and work in us in a way where we resemble and look more and more like Christ, that ultimately we might become the righteousness of God. So two big questions. Now that we understand what it means to know God, do you actually know him? Have you embraced his love? Do you have a personal, real relationship with him? And we've seen that his love sends, his love sacrifices, his love stays. I mean, what are we waiting for? And our only response in embracing God's love is belief. Choosing to believe in him. Realizing that on our own, we cannot save ourselves. The sin problem's too big. But out of complete grace and undeserving love, God made a way through Jesus. You can put your trust in him today. And the second thing, the next question is, if you do know him, are, we, are you extending that, his love? Are you modeling and being a multiplier of his love? Do you realize that ultimately you can't settle for forgiveness? You know, I have friends who tell me, you know, I'm forgiven, I'm good, I... I no, are you, set, are, not, are, not, are you not settling for forgiveness, but rather understanding that, man, God wants us to become the righteousness of God. It's a relationship with him. We should be growing closer every single day. God wants to work in us so that he can work through us. You can't have one without the other. And that's this idea of love embraced is love extended. You know, and uh, growing up, I, I took swimming lessons, and I'll end with this. I took swimming lessons, and 
I, uh, there's, there's like different levels, there's different stages. So you've got the mommy and me class, you've got the, uh, you've got the little platforms they put in, they put in like metal, metal platforms that you can like stand on, right? And then they eventually take those away and, and then, you know, you got kids clinging onto the wall and stuff like that. And eventually the idea, right, is to swim to a point where you're confident enough to work towards the deep end of the pool, and the idea here is that th- this is the idea of God wants in our lives. So often we're floating in faith, you know, stuck in the mommy and me class. When God wants us to trust him, to rely upon him, to grow, God's intention is that we would grow, that we would become the righteousness of God, that we would embrace his love and therefore extend his love, because guess what? His love is life-changing. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you so much that your love truly is life-changing. The fact that we get to know you, that the opportunity that we get to have a relationship with you, that we get to be saved, forgiven from our sins. God, when we chose deliberately to rebel against you, and God, you still love us. You sent your son to die for us. To die in our place by sacrificing his life. And he promises to stay with us when we believe in him. This love truly is life-changing. And I pray for anyone in this room who's unsure, uncertain, who does not truly know your love, that they would know today and they would place their trust in you. And for those, for those who do, that we would be challenged with this idea to model your love and to multiply, understanding, God, that we shouldn't settle for forgiveness. Rather, God, you're after us becoming your righteousness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. And I pray now you'd bless this offering as we give it, God. Thank you for the the ways you're working in the lives of our students in this youth ministry and the ways you're working in this church. It's all because of your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.